You ever read this book? Anybody recognize this book? Mm-hmm. A number of you do. You recognize this. This is a classic right here. This is one of my favorites that I've read to the boys. This book is The Very Hungry Caterpillar. And this is a really, really cool book because it's very simple. It's a very, very simple book. It's a very, very simple story. And basically, the beginning of the book follows around the exploits. You know, technology is supposed to make our lives simpler. <laughs> it really is. It's supposed to be a convenient... What? We'll let our, our, our technical expert here work on it. What's it doing? Here's the thing. I need the TV today. It has to work. Let me see. <laughs> All right, there's our man. All right. I see power. Praise God. Amen. We have TV. Woo! We have exercised the demons from the TV. All right. So the Very Hungry Caterpillar, it's a very simple story. It starts off by following this little guy around, and basically, he does one thing throughout the story. He eats, and he eats, and he eats, and he eats. And at the very end, I think part of the reason this is such a classic is because of what happens at the end, because he goes through all this effort, and then he transforms. He's, and, and just like in reality, we start out with this weird-looking thing. You ever seen one of these before? One of these kind of caterpillars crawling around? They look kind of weird, and they, and, and they got all these legs, and they're fat, and they're strange-looking. This one's actually kind of cool, because this one's at least colorful. Some of them are just really weird-looking. But this, this caterpillar goes through an amazing transformation and turns into this. It's absolutely unbelievable that this is able to happen. I mean, and not only does a caterpillar transform into a butterfly, look at all the different colors, this gigantic color palette, different sizes and shapes and colors. It's absolutely beautiful. Anybody else on a million call lists? This is a crazy, crazy morning. It's been a crazy week too because we had VBS this week and so it's been like crazy after crazy after crazy. And I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. But we've got all these beautiful colors of butterflies. And it's incredible. But the key here, the key to this that I want us to see this morning as we get started is the word transform. You see, I had a revelation this week at VBS. We had VBS this week. It was a lot of fun. Kids were very energetic. The scripture was taught. And it was, it was just a really, really good time. But something clicked to me in a way that it had never clicked before. And I just have to tell you about it. Because it struck me in the moment. And I want us to keep our mind on this word, transform. Now, we are talking about spiritual gifts. We're talking about spiritual gifts. These are gifts and abilities and that come through the power of the Holy Spirit manifesting itself in our lives when we develop a relationship with Jesus. We've talked about a few so far, and we've got a couple new ones to address today. So as we get started, let's go ahead and go to our primary text that we've been looking at, which is in Romans 12. We're just going to read the first two verses today to kind of set up for what we're going to talk about. Starting at the first verse of Romans 12. Paul writes, he says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. 
Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. And then on to verse 2, he says, Don't copy the behavior or customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Let God transform you. This week at VBS, we had a uh, story for the week that we talked about frequently. And it's a story I know very well. Maybe you know it very well too. Are you familiar with the story of Zacchaeus? Maybe you know the old Sunday school song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Okay, all right, maybe you know that. I want us to look at the story of Zacchaeus here really quick. We're going to go to the book of Luke, chapter 19. And I'm just going to go ahead, and we're going to read this short little account of this incredible encounter with Zacchaeus. It says this, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. And he had become very rich because as a tax collector, he was a liar and a cheater and a thief. This was not a guy that people would have liked. He tried to, look at, to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. I can identify with that. So, he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. He said, Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and he took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But get this, but the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Can you just feel like the, the cringe dripping off of that? Ooh, he's gone to the house of a notorious sinner. Gross. Meanwhile, though, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. Do you see what happened to Zacchaeus? He transformed. He went from notorious sinner to amazing giver. All by encountering Jesus. All by encountering Jesus. And it struck me. Because we're talking about spiritual gifts. These are things that come through the Holy Spirit. These are things that come to us post-transformation. And here's the fact of the matter. Jesus did not come to affirm us. Jesus came to transform us. Jesus did not come to coddle us in the situations that we're in and tell us that we're okay how we are. Jesus came to transform us into what God desires us to be, which is the, really the best version of what we can be. He came to transform us, and through this transformation, He gives us these amazing spiritual gifts 
Incredible. Jesus came to be a transformer. No, I won't sing the cartoon theme song, but he did. He came to be a transformer. Let's look really quickly now at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, because we have these spiritual gifts, and it's good for us to remind ourselves why, okay? 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7 says, A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. They are given so we can help each other. There's an old word that I really like. As a matter of fact, I say it all the time without thinking about it because it's always in my thoughts, and that's the word edify. I oftentimes catch myself saying that here in church on Sunday morning because I sort of grew up hearing it. The word edify is an older word which basically means to enrich, to uplift, to inspire. Not just you know, to help. Help's kind of a general word, but edify means, you know, an in, there's an investment. There's a exuberance that comes with it. And I love using that word. That's basically what this verse is saying. It is there so that we can edify one another. We can build each other up. God knows what he is doing. He came to transform and give us these gifts so that we could help and edify one another. So I want you to kind of lock away that word transform in your mind. Put that one in your mind. It's going to come up as we go through these things because today we have two more gifts that we're going to discuss. Two more gifts that we're going to look at. Today, if you go to uh, Romans chapter 12, which is where our primary text is, and if you go to the latter half of verse 7 and the beginning of verse 8, you will see that Paul lists teaching and encouragement as two of the spiritual gifts that come from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. These two are two very definable spiritual gifts. And the, and the cool thing about these two is they kind of work in tandem, which we will see this morning. Now, there are some specifics to each, and, and this message is going to be kind of a teaching message because we're sort of pulling this apart. But my goal for today is not just to tell us what these gifts are. We're also going to look at some characteristics so that you can maybe identify whether or not you have this gift or maybe you know somebody who has this gift in them. So we're going to look at some of that today. Now to break it down, our main idea, our main idea, which should be in your sermon notes if you got those in your bulletin, is this. We kind of break things down, boil them down to their basic contents. This is what we get. Teaching says this is the way you should go. Whereas encouragement says, I will help you go that way. So both of these gifts are centered around leading a Christ-centered life. However, they approach it with two different methods. And we're going to see what those are today. Okay? Let's start by looking at, specifically, the gift of teaching. Now, this is a little bit tricky because in Romans 12, it states that teaching is a gift. However, that's kind of a broad term, right? I mean, teaching encompasses quite a bit. And so, because our language, the English language, is different from the original language that this was written in, which would have been Greek, I think it's helpful to look at the original Greek word that was used because that might give us some deeper insight onto the kind of teaching we're talking about. So, if we look at the Greek word used in Romans 12 for teaching, it's this word right here, didaskalos. I hope I'm saying that right, didaskalos, which in a general sense simply means to teach and instruct. However... In the Greek, this does have a deeper meaning. 
It also means to instill doctrine. It means to explain. It means to expound. Are you getting the feeling that there is this investment quality to this kind of teaching? This isn't simply presenting information. This is investing, instilling in whoever it is you are teaching as the teacher. We can break down teaching basically to say this. The purpose of teaching as a spiritual gift is to reveal the truth of Scripture for the purpose of application. To reveal the truth of Scripture for the purpose of application. We have a method and we have a goal. The method is to reveal the scripture, to show what is the truth that's contained therein, the life-altering fundamental truths that are there. But the purpose that we do that is so that it can be applied, so that lives can be changed, so the church can be edified. That is the purpose. So we're going to look at some characteristics of the gift of teaching. But before we do that, I want to introduce you to somebody. This is Paul, Paul Steele. Paul was a mentor of mine from a long time ago when I was in high school. Paul is part of the reason I'm here today. I'll be honest. He is an absolutely fantastic teacher. As I was studying the gift of teaching, the main person that kept popping into my head was Paul Steele. And I'll explain why as we kind of go through these because he just he personifies this gift. And maybe you do too. I hope that when we get through this, maybe you'll see this in yourself as well. But I just wanted to introduce you briefly to Paul before we talk about these different characteristics. Let's look at these. Number one, those who are gifted with the spiritual gift of teaching love to study. They love to study. Now, I don't just mean that they like to read the Bible. What I'm talking about, people with the gift of teaching, these are the people who read the Bible, who read books about the Bible, who read topical books about the books that they read about the Bible. These are the people who dig as deep as they possibly can and extract the truth of the, truth of the Word. They go very, very deep. I remember thinking about Paul. I remember a time uh, when I was in high school and uh, I went to a Wednesday night youth group. And at that time, there was like this goofy little hip-hop song that we had learned. And a friend of mine, we're sitting there before Bible study was starting. We're just kind of goofing around. We're rapping this back and forth to each other, kind of having some fun. Believe it or not, goofy hip-hop songs did exist pre-YouTube. They did, really? So we were just having some fun sitting there. And I remember looking up and I remember looking into Paul's face. And he had this... This kind of concerned look on his face. And of course, I'm like, you know, Paul, what's wrong? And Paul said, he said, I just wish you had the same passion for memorizing the scriptures that you do for memorizing these songs. Because Paul loved the word. It was important to him. It was a priority to him. And I've, I've remembered that ever since then, you know, because it's a priorities type thing. The person with the gift of teaching loves to study and loves the Word of God. Second characteristic, the person who with the gift of teaching cares about context. Maybe this is you. You have a passion for seeing the Scripture used accurately. Before Paul Steele, I didn't really understand a lot about the context of the Scriptures. I thought, you know, you read a verse and you'd see what the verse said. But with, when I studied with Paul, looking at the big picture, what is the section talking about? What's the background of the section. Why was this written? To whom was it written? 
Those who teach love these details and care that the scripture is communicated accurately and taken in the context in which it was intended. Those with the gift of teaching also are very, very... um, are very, very sensitive to when the gospel or the, when the scriptures are used incorrectly, especially with ill will. Very, very sensitive to that. The, the teacher loves the context. The next uh, characteristic, which this one should seem fairly obvious. You know, we're talking about teaching, right? Able to communicate. The the person with the gift of teaching will have the ability to take that truth and then share it with somebody else. Some of us, this is a struggle for. I I run into this a lot myself where I can grasp a concept. I can read it. I can ingest it. I can understand it. I've got it in here. But it is so hard to articulate that to someone else. You know, the person with the gift of teaching is able to take that and present it in a way that can be absorbed by someone else. I love this quote by Dr. Larry Gilbert, who's kind of an expert in these spiritual gift areas. He said this, The most effective teacher is the one who can teach more than average knowledge with more than average simplicity. The teacher is the person that you'll you'll talk to about Scripture and you'll go, Huh? I never thought about it that way before. Maybe you've had that experience. Maybe you've been blessed by someone with that gift. It's amazing. The fourth characteristic we want to look at is that the teacher desires transformation. Just like Jesus came to transform us, that's what the teacher desires as well. They don't just want to hand you the information for the sake of handing you the information. Their joy comes from seeing the person they've taught transform, take the word and apply it and become who God wants them to be. That is where the teacher finds satisfaction and joy. Maybe you see yourself in these this morning. Maybe you do. I don't know. I hope so. There's many spiritual gifts, but this is a very, very special one. Now, because it is what it is. It is a special gift. There, it, we, we can't really talk about teaching without talking about, I guess we could say like the harsher side of it, because there is a very strong reality that comes along with teaching, and it's found in James chapter 3. If we read the first two verses of James chapter 3, James writes this. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. There is this reality that for those who teach and for those who proclaim the gospel using words, using their tongue, Paul and, and James goes into a very long description after those two verses on the dangers of speech and how we use our speech. For those that do this, you will, there is a higher standard. And, and, and sometimes it's subconscious, okay? So I, th- I always go to this example. I don't think this is the best example, but I'm a music guy, so this is kind of where my brain goes. How many of you listen to Christian music? Do you listen, does anybody listen to a lot of Christian music? I think a lot of us probably do. There's a lot of great Christian music out there. I've been listening to Christian music since as long as I can remember. That's what my parents raised us on, so I've been into it for a long time. Have you ever seen a Christian artist have a moral failure. This is kind of tough, but have you ever seen that? You don't have to raise your hand, think about it, nod your head. When these things happen, 
Whether it's fair or not, that's a conversation for another time. The fact of the matter is, if, if we take a top-level pop star, take like a Britney Spears or a Justin Bieber or something like that, and they have some kind of failure or they go to rehab or goodness knows what, you know, we're able to kind of go, oh yeah, they got some problems, but I still like the tunes. If this happens to a Christian artist, we have a tendency to write them off. Like, they, they, are now, they are now dead to us. We can't even listen to their music. Their whole legacy has now been soiled by what they have done. Fair or not, it's because held to a higher standard. Think about teachers. Maybe if I say a couple of names. James McDonald. Ravi Zacharias. If you know those guys. Held to a higher standard. So, those who are, those who are given that gift, we just have to recognize We've been called to something that we have to be extremely careful, but it's still a beautiful gift. Let's look at our main point one more time. Teaching says this. We just talked about teaching. This is the way you should go. Encouragement says, I will help you go that way. So let's talk about encouragement. This is one of my absolute favorites. I love encouragement. I am a huge believer in encouragement. And we're going to talk about the gift and then just a little bit more bonus content after that. Ha ha ha. This is a great one. I love encouragement. So what is the gift of encouragement? Well, once again, take a quick look at the Greek. What does the original text say when it says the gift of encouragement? This is the word it uses. Parakletos or parakletos which basically means intercessor, advocate, comforter, counselor, helper. There's a lot wrapped up in that word. There is a lot wrapped up in that word. The person who is an encourager, it's a very active word, right? This is a doer. This is a person who does and who is active in what they do with their spiritual gift. If we go to the book of John, Chapter 14, verse 16. This is, I think, the first reference to using, or the first use of this word in the scriptures. And it says this. These are the words of Jesus. And he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. The word right there for advocate is paraclete, which is part of that parakletos. And who's he talking about? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our own personal intercessor, counselor, comforter. And so we can also be given the gift of sharing that with each other as well. Let's break it down. Let's boil it down. The purpose of encouragement is to come alongside a brother or sister in Christ for the purpose of helping them to live the life God desires for them. Once again, we have a method and we have a goal. The method is to come alongside. The goal is to help them lead that life that God wants them to have. It's pretty, it's pretty incredible. It's pretty incredible. And what better place to look for encouragement? What better example to look at than Barnabas? Do you guys remember Barnabas? Are you familiar with Barnabas in the New Testament? Barnabas is the ultimate encourager. As a matter of fact, so much so his name means son of encouragement. Let's read a little bit about Barnabas. Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 36, says this. For instance, there was Joseph the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field and he, that he owned and brought the money to the apostles. Barnabas was a doer. Barnabas was such an encouraging guy, they literally nicknamed him son of encouragement. 
You know, we do that sometimes with each other, like if we, if we have a particular characteristic or sometimes we nickname each other for the things that we do. I was trying to think of like what a, what a modern correlation to that would be. I was thinking, Mr. Happy. Oh, here comes Mr. Happy. You know, something like that. Something that was light and uh, that would let everyone around him know what he was about. Barnabas was the man when it came to encouragement. As a matter of fact, Barnabas was such an encourager. He is the one who broke down the walls between the believers in the first century church in Jerusalem and Paul, who was the ultimate persecutor of the church at that time. Let's look at this real quick. Acts chapter 9, starting at verse 26. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, who would be the apostle Paul, He tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Can you blame them? This is the guy who'd literally been rounding them up, locking them up, trying to shut down the church in Jerusalem. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. I think Barnabas was a pretty gutsy guy. He was an encourager, but he came alongside the Apostle Paul. He came alongside of him and personally vouched for him for the Apostles. Amazing. Amazing imagery of coming alongside to help. So let's talk really quickly now about some of the characteristics of an encourager. Number one. The people with the gift of encouragement have a tendency to think practically. These folks are problem solvers. You might know some of these people. If I have a problem, I can go to them and they're going to tell me how to work it out. They they oftentimes uh, think very positively in terms of challenges, opportunities, not challenges. You know what I mean? Like a challenge becomes an opportunity. How can we turn this around for good? How can we take this struggle that I'm having and use it to make myself more like the person who God wants me to be? That's what an encourager oftentimes does. Second thing, an encourager has compassion and empathy. These are the mercy showers. People who have the spiritual gift of encouragement are the givers of the benefit of the doubt. Once again, we can look to Barnabas for a good example of this. If we look at Acts chapter 15, starting at verse 36, I love this. Look at this. It says, after some time, Paul said to Barnabas, okay, this is Paul talking to the guy who, who vouched for him before the apostles, okay? After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Amazing that Barnabas and Paul would have this kind of interaction. But Barnabas, even though John Mark checked out on their work at Pamphylia, even though John Mark really betrayed their trust at Pamphylia and the scripture says deserted them, Barnabas saw something still in John Mark to the point where he was willing to take him under his wing and give him a second chance. That 
is an encourager coming alongside and giving the benefit of the doubt. Number three, the person with the spiritual gift of encouragement makes themselves available. I've I've read in a few different places that people with this gift show love through availability. I hope you know somebody. I know a couple of people that when you, you know, when you call them, if you've got something going on, if you need help with a project, if you need something, you can call them and you know they will be there. Like there's no question in your mind. You know they will show up. No excuses. None, none of that other stuff. They will be there when you need them. That is the mark of a person with the gift of encouragement. They will make themselves available. And the fourth one, which kind of goes along with that one, is this. They genuinely care. They genuinely care. How easy is it to spot a faker? You ever spotted a faker before? Somebody who looked like they were invested, but you, you, you might have an issue or you might talk to them, you know, but you know, for, you know later on you're not going to get a follow-up phone call asking how you're doing. They're not going to show up if you call them for help. You know, they seem like, they're, like they care and they're invested, but there's no follow-through. You know, and I've done this, you know, I've been ingenuine. We can spot that. We know when somebody's faking. The person with the gift of encouragement genuinely cares about the physical and spiritual well-being of the person that they are helping. They genuinely genuinely care. I remember I had a friend once who I was working through some tough stuff and I'll never forget this moment. We'll we'll call her Jane. And I remember sitting across the table from her one time telling her about this struggle that I was trying to figure out, this challenge that I was having. And I remember looking up at her and I I could see the redness around her eyes. You know, I could see the, the, the tears that were, that were threatening to come. And it was because she genuinely cared. She had compassion and empathy. She was there when I needed her. And she helped me figure out a solution. She had the gift of encouragement. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Now, I am a big believer in encouragement. Might keep slipping on me here. I'm a big believer in encouragement, and I want to I close up with this, because I believe that encouragement is absolutely essential for the body of Christ, absolutely essential. I, I wanted to share this verse with you real quick. This is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, simple little verse. Paul says, so encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. He's saying, you guys, are, you guys are lifting each other up. Keep at it. Keep doing it. The fact of the matter is, encouragement is vital. Even if you don't necessarily have this very specific spiritual gift of encouragement, we can all encourage and lift up one another. I want to give you three quick ways. Number one is words. Use your words. Our tongues are very powerful, just like we saw when we talked about teaching. What we speak, it has power and impact. Use that for building each other up. It can be very, very powerful. The second thing is prayers. And, and I just want to encourage us. So many times, and I've done this, I've seen, we, sometimes we'll say, oh man, that's so bad. I'll pray for you. Do we always remember to do it? Do we always remember? Sometimes we forget. Sometimes it might slip our mind. Let's make sure that we are praying and interceding on each other's behalf. Lifting each other up. And the third thing, and maybe, well, maybe not the most impactful thing, but an incredibly impactful thing, and I have felt the effects of this one so strongly in my life. Show up. Show up. If someone is in need, if somebody needs you, simply be there. 
There is nothing more encouraging than knowing your church family's got your back or a close friend has got your back. It's an amazing, amazing gift because encouragement can literally change someone's life. It changed mine. I remember when I was in junior high, I had, I, I, it, was, it was kind of a rough year. It was my seventh grade year. I'm like 13 years old. And what 13-year-old kid really has anything figured out? You know, we don't know anything. We're, we're, things are changing. We're trying to figure stuff out. And I'd had a particularly rough year. And I had a choir teacher, Mrs. O'Connell, who um, invested in me. I remember towards the end of the school year, we were coming to, our, she was my choir teacher, and we were coming to our final closing concert of the year. Big event. All, kind of everything culminated in this event. And I remember that there were opportunities for some solo sections where you could sing a solo. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, at that time when I was 13, I didn't actually think I could sing. I, I, had, I didn't know, and I didn't think I had any talent there, but something stirred me to give it a shot. I just wanted to try. And so I had to try out with a song. And so I learned this little song on a cassette tape, it was a backing track. It was The Great Adventure by Stephen Curtis Chapman. If anybody remembers that, I learned that song. That's what I sang for her for my tryout. And I remember she listened to me sing it, and she just encouraged me. She said, keep trying. You know, take it back. Learn this part. Come and let's do it again. And she worked with me a little bit. She invested in me. She spent time outside of class with me and, and, and made me feel like I could do it. I came back, sang it again, did it again, and got the solo. And for, from that moment on, I felt confident. I mean, you never would have caught me on a stage before her. But she, through her encouragement, gave me that confidence to think, hey, I might actually be able to sing a little bit. I don't know if I'd be here if God had not put her in my life. You never know where your encouragement is going to lead or who it's going to impact. Big idea, one last time. Teaching and encouragement. Teaching says, this is the way you should go. Encouragement says, I will help you go that way. So whether you have the gift of teaching, maybe, whether you maybe have the gift of encouragement, I just encourage you to use those gifts. I hope that these characteristics might help you to identify whether you have it or whether someone you know has one of these gifts. But let's just remember, let's just remember that these gifts come through the transformational power of Jesus Christ. That is the source, and he has given them to us so that we can help one another. I invite you now, let's go ahead and stand together. We're going to go ahead and, and yeah, guys, if you want to go ahead and come back up onto the stage, we're going to move some of this stuff out of the way. We always want, we always want to take some time and present an opportunity where if you have a decision to make, we want to be able to give you the opportunity to do that. Uh, perhaps there's something on your heart. Perhaps you just want to know more about this transformational power that Jesus has. It's amazing to experience, and it, bring, it brings out, really, the best life that you can experience. And we want that for each and every one of us that's here today. So let me go ahead and pray, and then we'll, we'll have a song of invitation, all right? Let's, let's pray.